Let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll dig in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. And Lord, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We thank you, Lord, for your word, the living, breathing word of God, that you wrote it down for us, that you gave us the Holy Spirit that we might understand it. Lord, I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Lord, may your word go forth with boldness. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. All God's people said. So Chronicles was written to the Jews that were returning from 70 years of bondage in Babylon. They've been taken away because of their disobedience, and now God is delivering them back to Israel. Now, for many of those who are coming back to Israel, they had never been there before. They did, did not even know, they'd never seen the temple, they had never experienced what it was like to, to live in Jerusalem. And so this was a, an exhortation and an education to those that were going back of all the things that had taken place, how God's hand was on Israel, that they were God's chosen people. This was the land of promise that belonged to them. We see a lot of duplication of what you see in First and Second Kings, even in First and Second Samuel, but sometimes some of the details are left out. So last time we were in chapter 22, and some things that we saw in chapter 22 that I really, that, that he focused on, and I'm going to look at three verses in chapter 22, and then we'll get into chapter 23. But in chapter 22, I tell him the message, what are you doing to impact eternity? You know, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And uh, it was a blessing to be at the conference in Hawaii and, and speak to, I don't know, seven or 800 pastors and church leaders there, and then to speak at a Calvary chapel there. And just to be able to go to another fellowship and see what God's doing there and to know that God's doing that all over the world. Praise God for that. Amen. And we're blessed that we live at this point in a country where we have the freedom to proclaim the truth of the gospel, but that not, may not always be so. But in 1 Chronicles 22, I want to look at verses 11 through 13 really quickly and see David's focus as his days were coming to an end. See, as we get to tonight's text, we're going to see in verse 1 that David's life is coming to an end. And he is concerned about what he's going to leave behind. He's concerned about pouring into his son Solomon and to have him be prepared to be the king when he dies. But in verse 11 of 1 Chronicles 22, he's going to talk about the things that are important. And you're going to see that he's not going to talk about, may you have great victories over the enemies. He doesn't talk about that, though that's important. He doesn't talk about the stuff that we might think is important. He talks about rebuilding the temple. He talks about asking the Lord for wisdom and understanding. And he talks about walking in obedience to the word of God and being a man of good courage. So notice what it says here in chapter 22, verse 11. I'm going to read three verses really quickly and we'll get into the next chapter. It says, now my son, the Lord be with you. So he knows that his life is coming to an end and he's speaking into his son's life. And he says, May the Lord be with you and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. Now remember, David wanted to build the temple, but David was not allowed to because he had been a man of war, a man who shed blood. But David prepared everything that he could so Solomon could build it. He had gathered all the building materials, he had written up the plans for it, and now he's going to put it into his son's hand. You know, the Bible tells us, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. And so he's speaking into his son's life. He says, look, I want you to prosper, 
but I want you to be faithful to do what the Lord has called you to do. You know, the most important thing that we want for par as parents, godly parents, godly grandparents, is to see our children loving and serving Jesus. Amen? More important than all the other stuff. And sometimes I'll talk to parents. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. And I'll ask about their kids. They'll say, oh, they're doing great. You know, just got their master's degree. They're, they're, they're making a lot of money. They bought their first house. You know, they're not walking with the Lord. They've kind of rejected God. And they're shacking up with their girlfriend. But other than that, they're doing great. That means they're doing horrible. Amen? If my kids are digging ditches and loving Jesus, I want to be the happiest dad on the planet. Amen? And so here he is speaking into his son's life, like, you be faithful to build that temple. You be faithful to do what God has called you to do. And then he says, only may the Lord, verse 12, give you wisdom and understanding. That should be a prayer. These are prayers that we should have for our kids. We can learn from David here. That you would do what God has called you to do, and that God would give you wisdom and understanding. We need to pray that for our children. God, give them wisdom and understanding. For our grandchildren, God, give them wisdom and understanding. The Bible tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't fear God, you don't have any wisdom. Amen? And so he's exhorting them and encouraging him, saying, look, may you have this wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. So not only does he cry out to be faithful, to build, a, to not destroy your enemies, but to build the house of the Lord, and then ask for wisdom and understanding. May God give it to you. But then he says, may you keep the law. May you obey. And that's not a word that's popular today. And a, a lot of people don't, don't want to obey. And the reality is, the Bible tells us, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. The highest form of worship is obedience. It's been said that Christians don't sing, don't tell lies, they just sing them. I surrender all, not really. I surrender some, might be more accurate, amen? And the reality is that God's called us, again, you heard me say it a thousand times, one more won't hurt you. You know, the law isn't, God didn't build that to keep us from fun, but to keep us from harm. And his law, his word, is a love letter from the creator of the universe, the one who created you, the one who sent his son to die for you, the one who wants what's best for you, the one that holds you in the palm of his hand, the one who'll never leave you nor forsake you, the one who has filled you with his Holy Spirit. He wrote it down for us so we wouldn't have to wonder what God wants us to do and how he wants us to live. Amen? And the exhortation here is, may you live according to the law. May you obey the word of God. And then he says in verse 15, 13, then you will prosper if you take care and fulfill the statutes and judgments with the word of God says, with which the Lord has charged Moses concerning Israel. Then he says this, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. You know what? We live in a time right now, a lot of it, COVID didn't help it, but we have more people depressed than ever, more people with anxiety than ever. And I'm not saying Christians can't go through bouts of depression because they can. And certainly that was my son, Mark, who's now in heaven, struggle for 15 years. So we know that's a real thing, but we also know that our God is greater. Amen? And he says to be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. We live in a time right now where people are dismayed. We live in a time right now where people are fired up and upset about what's going on in the world around us. They're concerned about what's happening in our country. Here's the good news. No matter what happens in our country, no matter who's in the White House, no matter what law they pass, no matter how much gas costs at the pump, our God is on the throne, in control, and in the end, he wins. Amen. 
And we need to not lose sight of that. And we need not walk around scared half to death and afraid and fearful and worried because we know that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And he's speaking into his son's life. Again, build the temple, obey God's word. Seek wisdom and understanding from the Lord. Keep the law of God and then be strong and of good courage. Do not fear or be dismayed. Guys, we have nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to be afraid of. On my vacation, there's a thing called the leap of faith. It's, the, it's one of the tallest water slides around, and it goes through a shark tank. It's kind of cool. And so this thing, you go, I don't know how fast you go, but you fly out this thing, and people are petrified. And I was talking to people in line. I loved it. I think the thing's awesome. You go flying out, it's great. But... Uh, People are scared half to death. And I would, I would tell people up in line, you see people in line and they'd get out of line and they'd get back in line and they were just scared. And I'd say, you know that the thing you're afraid of is worse than the thing itself. And fear is something that we can stir up in our minds that we're just petrified of what could happen when God's already told us we're going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Amen. When they got in the boat, we're going to the other side and they were all petrified because their eyes were on their waves when they should have their eyes on Jesus. Guys, I'm not worried about what's going on in the world because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is on the throne. Amen. And so we don't need to be petrified. We don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be worried. We don't need to be anxious. And I'm not saying that you can't struggle with those things from time to time. And if you do, ask God to help you. Amen? So he's exhorting his son. He's preparing Solomon to be the new king. And that brings us to chapter 23. So he gave us all of these exhortations. And I actually wrote these down that I want to have those exhortations with my kids and my grandkids. I think those are four wonderful exhortations that we see David giving to his son. So if you outline, grab it. I tell him the message, leaving a lasting legacy. A lot of people in pro sports are always talking about their legacy. What's my legacy going to be? Nobody cares, by the way. Nobody cares what your legacy is, how many championships you won. It's all going to burn and won't matter in eternity. But we as believers in Jesus Christ... We want to leave behind a godly legacy in a sense that we leave the world, you know, in a sense, we've ministered to the world, we've had an impact on the world, and we have prepared our children, that next generation, those arrows that are shot forward, to love and serve and walk with Jesus. Raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We want to raise our kids to love Jesus. So I tell him the message, leaving behind a lasting legacy, live a life that continues to impact the world even after you are gone. My dad was a pastor for 60 years. My dad is my favorite Bible teacher ever. And I'm so thankful. I don't have as, as many as I would like, but I have, oh, maybe 30 or 40 of my dad's messages on DVD or on CD, and I play them in my car while I'm driving. And even though my dad's in heaven, he still ministers to me. I, I still remember all the things he poured into my life. He taught it what it meant to be a godly man. He taught me what it meant to be a disciplined and a hard worker. He taught me what it meant to be a godly husband. He taught me what it meant to be a godly father. He taught me what it meant to be a, a, a godly pastor with a heart of a servant. I watched from the front row and I saw that the man that I saw on Sunday was the man I saw in my house. He taught me about generosity and opening up our home. I, he taught me about giving to others and esteeming others others greater than yourself. And see, again, my dad's in heaven and he's doing better than all of us. But you know, the impact on my life that he had continues. 
And our prayer should be that if the Lord tarries, I, my prayer is that we would have an impact on others that it continues to minister to them even after we're in heaven. Amen? So, four points. How do we do that? How do we leave a lasting legacy? Do all we can to prepare our children to live holy lives and to walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. Again, raise up the child in the way that he should go. Make time to disciple them and lead them by example. I was on the plane. I love divine appointments, had many of them. Uh, one of my divine appointments, pray for Lynette, she slipped and fell and broke her hand and her wrist while we were on vacation. And we had to go to the hospital. But what was the divine appointment was the lady at the hotel who, was, who called the ambulance and was helping us, her son had just died. Do you think that's by chance? That we were and I ended up talking to her about the Lord and praying with her and loving on her. And we had dozens and dozens and dozens of those divine appointments. And we want to look for opportunities. We want to pray for opportunities to be used by the Lord every single day. Amen? And we want to lead by example. We want to let our kids see in us what the, the, the example of what Christ can do in somebody's life. And what it means to be a godly husband, a godly wife, a godly mom, a godly dad, a godly worker. So first of all, do all you can to prepare your children to live holy lives and walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. You need to spend time with your kids. Don't be so busy doing other stuff that you miss out on your first ministry, which is your children. Number two, surround them with others who are faithfully walking with the Lord. We're going to see in this morning's text that David's going to speak into Solomon's life and then he's going to surround him with a small army of people who are going to help him stay headed in the right direction. As we know, Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. This is not something we're to do on our own. One of the enemy's tools during COVID was to get everybody to stay home and to be afraid to leave their house and not be in fellowship. And there's some people that still aren't. I get texts from people that used to attend this church two and a half years ago and they still haven't come back. We watch you online every week. I'm like, that's great. Do you go to the grocery store? Yeah, I have to go to the grocery store. Guess what? You desire the word of God more than your necessary food. Church is at 10 o'clock on Sunday. See you there. Amen? But surround them with others who faithfully walk with the Lord. And you know what? We need to love our kids enough, our grandkids enough, people in our life enough, that when we see them heading in the wrong direction with the wrong crowd, we're willing to step up and say something uncomfortable. And you know what? I'll tell you what. I, a lot of my kids' friends who were coming from a wrong position didn't stay long because I would just witness to them full speed, hardcore, and they didn't want to come back to my house anymore if they didn't get saved. Amen? And the reality is, you don't have to pick your friends. Your friends will pick you, because if you're on fire for God, they'll either get saved or they won't want to be anywhere near you. And so we need to encourage our kids and surround them with others who faithfully walk with the Lord. Number two, number three, how do we leave behind a lasting legacy? We minister to the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? We minister for the Lord, but the Bible also talks about ministering to the Lord. We think, how is that possible that we can minister to the Lord? The Bible tells us that when we worship, it is a sweet-smelling, or make sacrifices, it is a sweet-smelling aroma in his presence. He loves when we praise him. He loves when we worship him. He loves it. Four things there. How do we minister to the, to the Lord? Be different than the world. Be different than the world. The world wants us to become more like the world. And we've got, I just saw this. I get sent all these things because I'm a pastor. And they did a recent study of evangelical pastors in America. 
And 63% of them said they thought people could get saved without Jesus Christ. So what in the world has happened? What's happened is people who call themselves pastors and, and places that pose as churches have become so much like the world that they got so far away from the word of God that they're not churches anymore. Amen? And the exhortation here is that we need to be different than the world. You've heard me say it, the, bo the boat's in the water. We don't want any water in the boat. We minister to the world but have no fellowship with it. Again, we're to love the people of the world, but we're to be impacting them, not them, them impacting us. The culture should never impact the church. The church should impact the culture. Amen? So that's point number one. Number two, pray without ceasing. This between you and the Lord. How's your prayer life? How much time do you spend in prayer? I want to encourage you with something. Let me exhort you with this from your pastor. Before your feet hit the ground tomorrow when you wake up, I, I'm encouraging you to cry out to the Lord, to begin your day. Every morning for me, it's yes, Lord, your servant hears. Got that from Samuel. And then it's Lord, guide my every step. Lord, bring divine appointments today. Lord, help me to bring glory and honor to your name. Help me, Lord, to walk in the center of your will. Lord, may there be less of me and more of you. Help me, Lord, to deny myself, take up the cross, and follow you today. Lord, be glorified in my life. I pray for the customers I'm going to go see today. I pray for the divine appointment I'm going to have in the grocery store, wherever else I go. And Lord, be glorified in my life and do exceedingly abundantly above all I can even ask, think, or hope. Lord, please, Lord, be glorified today. And you know what? Before your feet hit the ground. And you know what that does? It changes your attitude about the day. Amen. You begin your day with him. You spend your day with him. You end your day with him. I begin with prayer and I just leave him on speakerphone and I never hang up. And I just keep talking to the Lord throughout the day. Intercede on behalf of others as we pray. We don't just pray for ourselves, but we pray for others. Pray for People that are sick, pray for people that are struggling. The one thing about it for me, I get the prayer requests, so I have plenty of them. I, I, get three, I got three or four calls today from people asking for prayer, which I love to do. Drive between sales call, phone rings, I get to pray with people. So we should be interceding on behalf of others. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. Also what prayer does is it keeps us in intimate fellowship with the Lord. You know, he is our heavenly father. And Abba is one of his names in scripture. And, and daddy, it means daddy, and daddy's never far away. And he desires that we crawl up into his lap and spend intimate time with him. And you know what? You're as close to God as you want to be. Amen? And if you want to be close with God, spend time in prayer. Minister unto him, bringing sacrifices of praise. Again, it's, a, it's worship and, and obedience are the highest forms, again, of worship. We want to come humbly before the Lord. We want to sing his praises. You know, next time you're in your car and maybe you're listening to Fox News or you're listening to music or whatever, can I encourage you to put something on that glorifies and honors the Lord and spend some time with him, amen? And watch how that'll change your life. And then bless others in his name. You know, we are tools in the hands of the master, and sometimes when someone needs a hug, God wants to use our arms. And I look for opportunities to reach out. The, the lady whose son had just passed away, and it was just his birthday, we're in the hotel, I just met her. By the way, the people in the Bahamas are some of the nicest people on the planet. And I'm just hugging this lady, and she's weeping, and I'm just telling her the Lord loves her, and I said, God bless you. May the Lord comfort you. May he show you grace and peace in the midst of this. And you know what, you're gonna see your son again, and heaven is better, and my son's hanging out with your son, and because God sent his son to die, we get to see our sons again. Praise God for that. 
And you know, we want to speak blessing into people's lives as they're honoring the Lord. Amen? We want to be tools in his hands. And then final point there, be willing to serve wherever you are needed. We're going to see tonight something radical happen. See, before the temple was built, the Levites, if you remember, they were the tribe that when the Lord, when, when they were called to all come to Moses, right? They said, all you come to me. And all the Levites went and God said, we're going to use you now. You're my chosen, you know, tribe in a sense. And while all priests are Levites, not all Levites are priests. And some of the Levites, again, from the tribe of Aaron were priests, but the rest of the Levites served in practical ways. When the tabernacle was moved in the wilderness, they would look up and see that the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire had moved. They would tear down the tabernacle, pick it up and move it. So that was their practical service and ministry. Well, once the temple's built, they're not going to have to move the tent around anymore. And this is, in Calvary Santa Cruz, the church I pastored for 10 years, we spent the first nine years in a gymnasium, and we had to, it took hours to set up, because there was a lot of chairs and a lot of sound equipment, and we had people showing up three to four hours before service, spending several hours getting everything set up, then going home and coming back. Well, we eventually moved into a facility that had permanent chairs. And all of a sudden we had a bunch of people who for nine years were coming to church, the church at five or six in the morning and setting everything up. And now we didn't need them to set anything up. And they were kind of like, what do we do now? Well, that's exactly what happens in the Levites in tonight's chapter. They're going to find out, well, okay, that ministry's done, but I've got another ministry for you. I've got another way I want to use you. And sometimes that's what happens in our lives. God's using us in one area. The circumstances change, and now God wants to use you in another way. So we'll see that in tonight's text. So, leaving behind a lasting legacy, living a life that continues to impact the world after you're gone. Point number one, doing all you can to, we all we can to prepare our children to live holy lives and to walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. Look at verse one. So when David was old and full of days... I think that's my life verse now, when David was old, that's me, and full of days. Now this is, David is at a point where he's coming to the end of his life. And we know from 1 Kings chapter 1, that there's a parallel chapter for this. It says that they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. So he's at a place where he's, you know, his body is failing. He's, you know, he's cold and they, they come and bring covers to him and the covers aren't enough because he's, you know, so ill and so coming toward the ends of his life. And by the way, they came up with another solution in that chapter I would not recommend. They brought a naked virgin to come lay next to him to keep him warm. It's in 1 Kings chapter 1. Uh, yeah, not a good idea. Can I get an amen to that? I think there's other things we can use. I think my wife would encourage me to lay in fire before we did that. Amen. <laughs> So as David's life is coming to an end, he wants to put everything in order. He knows that it's, you know, he's feeling ill, he's old, it's, he's full of days, and he wants to make sure that when he leaves, he's confident of where he's headed. He knows that even in the midst of his frailties and failures, the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, he wanted to make sure that he prepared his son and the next generation behind him to do all he could to prepare his son, Solomon, to be a successful king. By the way, I will say this. While we can do everything to raise and prepare our children to live a godly life and to walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord, in the end, it's up to them. 
Amen? I mean, we cannot force them. God has no grandchildren. But David, we're going to see David doing everything he can to put Solomon in the best possible place, to prepare him the best way that he can, to pour into his life as much as he can. And as we know that while Solomon had some good years, he also had some very drastically horrific ones as well. In the end, it must be their choice to surrender their lives fully to the Lord, to God beyond, uh, go beyond mom and dad's faith to their own. So David says there, he was old and full of days, and he made his son Solomon king over Israel. Now, again, back in 1 Kings, there were several verses. If you remember before, while he was an, about to anoint Solomon king, one of David's sons stepped up and made himself king. You guys remember that? He just said, I'm going to be the king. And his name was Adonijah. And we know that, again, it cut this completely out of this text here. But David and his sons, again, uh, plenty of them thought that they had access to the throne, that they would be next. And the way that David responded back in 1 Kings is he called in the priest Zadok, and he called in the prophet Nathan, and he said, hey guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to anoint him king. Then I want you to put him on my animal, my mule, so that everybody knows that's the king's. And then I want you to march him through town and I want you to blow a trumpet and every time you blow a trumpet, shout out, long live King Solomon. He was making it very clear that Solomon's the king. He's riding the king's horse. He's been anointed by both the prophet and the priest and he is God's man. And that's what David did when Adonijah was trying to take things in another direction. So here's David sickly laying on his deathbed, but he's finishing strong. And he made sure that things did not get off track. He made a stand for what was right, and he did what was necessary. Again, we'll see here it says in verse 2, And he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the Levites. Now you're going to notice in this text that our God is a God of order. That our God is a God of of direction and plans and God is in control. And we live in a time also where a lot of people will over-spiritualize things. There's a happy medium. You have people that want to so over-spiritualize things that they don't want there to be any order at all. And then you have people on the other end that want there to be so much order that they order the Holy Spirit out of the building. I remember in Santa Cruz, I had this guy come tell me the church was exploding and God was doing great things and people were getting saved every week and God was being glorified. And it was amazing what God was doing. And he, and he takes me to lunch. He goes, I think, Pastor, you know what? I think church should be organic, bro. It should just be organic. And I'm like, first of all, the word organic just makes me want to hurl already, but go ahead. And he said, I just think we should just show up and then we should just let the Holy Spirit just pull somebody up to share a word and then, and then we can have the Holy Spirit, you know, get someone to lead us in a worship song and then we can have the Holy Spirit. I said, well, the problem with that is the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion, so he doesn't operate that way. Amen? Amen. And what happens instead, and, by the, and he's like, yeah, just this whole, you know, where do we get this whole thing with pastors and teachers? I said, bro, read your Bible. First and second Timothy, Titus, throughout scripture, right? Amen? 
And so we're all gifted. We all have differing gifts. And the biggest mayhem would be if I was leading worship and somebody who couldn't teach was teaching and somebody who couldn't operate the sound equipment was operating, it'd be an organic mess. Can I get amen to that? So you have that one extreme where people just, oh, it should just be so flowing, bro. And I'm like, no, our God's a God of order, amen? Look at the universe. If you look through a microscope or a telescope, you will see that our God is a God of order, amen? Now, we have other churches that go to the other extreme. And that extreme is where, you know, we, we wear little black ties and we have to dress this certain way and we sit in a certain spot and each song needs to be five minutes and 12 seconds and prayers for 35 seconds. And they have all this thing. And I had a, I had a guy who was a, our worship leader. He moved to another city and he was on a worship team and he said they literally would tell him, you have 17 minutes and 20 seconds to finish worship. You need to finish it right on the dot. And then you need to pray for 45 seconds to get the prayer done right on the dot. And then, you know, and everything was so regulated that the Holy Spirit left the building. Amen. So there's two extremes. We don't want to be the either one of those. But I want you to see that our God's a God of order. And by the way, I love order. I love it. Some people don't. I love it. I'm married to Lynette. I love clean because that's, it just rubbed off on me. Amen? My wife's the cleanest person on the planet. Our house is in order. And I love order because I think, it, and it, by the way, as believers, when we do things for the Lord, we don't give him the rest. We give him our best. Amen? And if we're digging ditches for Jesus, we better big dig the best ditches around. If we're setting up chairs, we want to set them up in a way that glorifies and honors the Lord. Amen? If we're serving in the children's ministry, wherever we are serving, we want to do it with excellence because we're doing it for God. Amen? And I love order. I love that our God is a God of order. So he gathers all the leaders together in Israel. He knows his son is king now. He's been anointed. But he gets these guys and says, okay, look. I'm going to need you to come alongside my son. I'm going to need you to make sure that the plan for the temple goes through as planned. I need you to stand with him and counsel him when he's making decisions. And he's calling all these people with their gifts and surrounding his son so his son isn't out there trying to do everything in his own strength. We all need godly counsel. Again, it needs to be a balance. The Bible instructs us how church should function, but we don't want structure, again, to remove the Holy Spirit from the building. David wants to surround his son with the right people that will help him get the job done. So they all gathered together with the priests and the Levites. And again, it's, as I said, Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. No one is called or gifted to do it all on their own. You know, if a church flourishes, if a ministry is doing well, it's, not, it's never because of just one person. Amen? And too often, that's why, why ministries struggle, because you got one person who's the focal point, and they try to do it all on their own, and that's not how ministry operates. You know, the success of Calvary Chapel Canal Valley is a part of all of you. Amen? The fact that you're all friendly and loving, the fact that you pray for each other, the fact that you minister to each other, the fact that you all use your gifts for the kingdom of God and for his glory. It's not the job of just the pastors or just a few, it's all of us. We need fellowship, we need worship, we need a teaching of God's word, we need godly counsel, we need people to comfort us when we are hurting, we need people who love us enough to exhort us when we go astray. King Solomon could not do it on his own. King David wants to surround him with those that can help him to be faithful to his calling. We all need it. We all need it. 
We all need people who can come alongside us. You become like who you hang out with, who you're hanging out with. Who are the people that you spend your time with? You become like the people you hang out with. Verse 3. The point number one there was do all you can to prepare our children to live holy lives. Again, he, he gathers his son up. He, in his sickness, he has the priests anoint him and the, the prophet anoint him. And then he surrounds him with the right people. Point number two, surround them with others who are faithfully walking with the Lord. Look at verse eight. Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above and the number of individual males was 38,000. What's amazing about this, back in Numbers, when Moses numbered them, there was only a little over 8,000. So the children of Israel are growing in number. There's 38,000 Levites, and he brings them together, these individuals who God is going to use, again, in ministering to Solomon and ministering to God's people. And then notice his order. Of those, 24,000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord. So when the temple was built, they literally had 24,000 Levites whose full-time job was to minister in the temple. So when people came to make sacrifices, when people came to, to worship the Lord, uh, they were there to minister to the people and to carry out all the things that would take place in the temple. In times like Passover, later on, you would see literally millions of people all come for Passover. And so this 24,000 people were dedicated to the worship of the Lord, making sacrifices to the Lord, and their job was to minister to people. Then it says 6,000 were officers and judges. Uh, the Levites also were civil servants for the kingdom of Israel, and they would be the ones when there was a dispute. See, there were no courts in those days. So when there was a, a dispute, they would bring it to the priests. They would bring it to the Levites. They would bring it to those. Can you imagine how much better our court system would be if the people making the decision were the people who are spiritually on fire for God? Amen. And so that's what they did. When there was a dispute, they came to the temple. And, they, and sometimes these Levites would be spread out in the areas around it, and they would settle the disputes, and they would do it from a godly perspective. Then it says below that, 4,000 were gatekeepers. These were responsible for security, both in a practical and a spiritual sense. They made sure that only those who were ready to serve and worship could, could come to the temple and, it's a, and the buildings. So what they did is when people came, in one sense, they were the greeters, but they were also the security. So they would greet the people who came and then make sure that those people were coming with the right heart and the right motive. We live in a time today that we, we having greeters is important. I've shared this story with you before, but some of you are new. There was a, a young man who came to the church in San Jose when I was a youth pastor uh, before I became the pastor in Santa Cruz. And I did men's ministry, youth, and, and a lot of other things in that fellowship. And he came to tell me his testimony. He got saved in the men's study. And he said, you know, Pastor, I tried to come to church 10 years ago. He said, I was in my early 20s. I was involved with a, a, a gang, a motorcycle gang. I think it was Hell's Angels. And he said, I'd been out all night drugging and sleeping around, and my life was a mess. And I was driving home on my motorcycle, and I stunk, and I was, I was just a mess. And I was at this light, and I saw this church with people going in, and I parked my motorcycle, 
and I walked into the church and I sat in the back row in the very corner. And as they were worshiping, I was just sitting back there weeping and I was only there for about five minutes and a man came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, you can't be in here dressing, dressed and smelling like that. You need to leave. So he kicked him out of church. So he left. And for 10 years or more, he would always want to go to church, but he was convinced in his mind that if I show up in any other church, they're still going to just kick me out. So he came to Calvary San Jose six or seven times. He said, I, I would sit in the parking lot and I, I would sometimes get up and walk toward the door and sit on a bench, but I never quite made it because I was sure that I was going to get kicked out. Well, finally, he makes it to the door and he said, I just knew I was going to get kicked out. And he said, and standing at the door was this guy named Don Shopman, who was one of the greeters there. And Don looked at him and said, hey, are you new? Welcome. We're so glad you're here. You know what? Why don't you come and sit with my wife and I? You know what? If you're not doing anything after church, let us take you to lunch. We want to get to know you better. We're so blessed that you came here today. You know what? That greeter changed that man's life. Amen? And that's the way we ought to greet people. So the gatekeepers, they were greeting people, but they were also making sure that the people that came had the right heart and the right motive. And then finally it says, along with those gatekeepers, it says there were 4,000 who praised the Lord with musical instruments, which I made, said David, for giving praise. David actually made instruments. And then 4,000 of the people had one job, to lead people in worship. How important is worship? It's important enough that 4,000 people who were within the temple had one job to lead people in worship. By the way, that was all youth group up here leading worship tonight. All young people, amen? All in high school or just out of high school. And you know what? Praise the Lord for that. And you know what? If you don't like worship, you don't love Jesus enough. Amen? And if you don't like worship, you're not going to like heaven. Because one of the few things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven is worship. By the way, we're all going to love heaven. It's going to be amazing. But, but I'm, I'm making a point. The, the point is, worship is amazing. When we worship, you know what? Worship, we you know what it does? It connects our heart to the Lord, doesn't it? Doesn't it take your focus off everything else and just you enter into his presence and you're singing his praises and all those things that were so important just don't matter anymore and you get a glimpse of what it will be like when we'll be around his throne. My favorite worship song is the Revelation song. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We're gonna sing that song in heaven because the Bible tells us so, amen? I want to praise the Lord. And so he, he sets aside those for worship. See, he's surrounding him with some who will keep the gate, some who will continue to serve in the temple, but also those who will make sure that worship never stops. And he's putting Solomon in a place where he'll be surrounded by those who can be a godly influence on him. You know, the temple is just a building if those who are called and gifted don't show up. Amen? I would say this is just a building, but it's not even a building, amen? But this tent is just a tent unless you show up. And when you show up, the church is here, amen? Where two or more gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of us. You know what, I, I, this is my heart always. My prayer is that Jesus would be happy hanging out with us on Sunday because of what's happening here, amen? That he would 
know that we love him, that we praise him, that we worship him, that he is the guest of honor, that we're going to sing his praises, we're going to magnify his name, we're going to invite people that don't know him to come to get to know him, and that anybody and everybody who shows up will be welcomed and loved because that's what Jesus would do. Amen? And so he's surrounding him, again, with the right people, with others who are faithfully walking with the Lord, again, to be a source of encouragement. And then it says there in verse 6, also David separated them into divisions among the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. We saw this earlier in, earlier in the first five books of the Bible. And each one of these families had a different calling. The Kohathites were, that was the family that Aaron was from. So part of them were the priests. So all the Levites, all the priests were Levites, but all the Levites were priests. And all the priests came from the tribe of Kohath. Now, some of the people in Kohath were priests, those who were descendants of Aaron. The rest of them were in charge of carrying everything inside the tabernacle once Aaron and his sons had covered them up. So they would cover up the Ark of the Covenant, and when the cloud moved, they would pick up the Ark, and using the poles the way God commanded, they would move it. They'd move the table of showbread, they'd move the, you know, the golden lampstand, they moved the altar of incense, and so their job was just to move all, they were, they were working for allied band lines, they just didn't know, they were moving stuff, right, their furniture moved, but they're doing it for the Lord, and that was their calling, and when the, when the, when the pillar moved, they knew what their job was, they go to the temple, when they go to the tabernacle, they find the furnishings once they're covered, and they move them, the, the Gershonites, we're in charge of all the fabric in the tabernacle and all its coverings. And I would encourage you to go back and look at that. Uh, but it's so awesome. Every layer, one layer had cherubim on it. Another layer was all black, pictured the sin of mankind. And it was covered by goat skins. And again, I got a picture of the shed blood and the sacrifice that was made. And they would take all the coverings and move them. And then finally, we had the Merarites. And they carried the, the foundation parts of it, the, the boards and the structure. So everybody did what they were supposed to do. So that tabernacle, the cloud would move. All the people would gather together, millions of them. They'd all start moving. And here would come the Levites. They'd grab all the stuff. They'd go to the new place. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. And in a short amount of time, the tabernacle is rebuilt. See, that's the body of Christ. If you use your gifts and I use mine, God will be glorified in this place. Amen? If we sit back and we get the get out of hell free card and sit on the sidelines, we miss out on how God wants to use us and we miss out on the blessings and the fruit that can come from it. You know, there are different needs. We all have different callings and we need to be careful that we don't try to hold on to things just because it's what we want to do. We're going to see that he's going to give them whole new jobs. See, these have been their jobs for centuries. And now, what's going to happen? At the end of this chapter, they have the temple. They don't need to move the tabernacle anymore. And they're going to get a new assignment. One of the many lessons I've learned in 34 years as a pastor, pastor means servant, and I've been, I've been on staff at four different churches. So the first one was Calvary Chapel, Antelope Valley, where in 1988, at 25 years old, I became a pastor. I was the youth pastor there. But not long after that, uh, the church was small and growing. It grew to about 1,000, but I was there when it was 25 and got to watch it grow. 
And before long, God put it on my heart to start a men's ministry. So I started a discipleship group, and I was doing men's ministry. Well, then they had a brand new prison built, and they wanted volunteers to go in and teach in the prison. So I went and started teaching in the prison. And then I was at work, and I saw a need at work. So I started a Bible study at work. And the whole point is this, is that when you have a calling on your life, and it needs, you need to be available. And I will say this, every pastor at this church has oversight of more than one ministry, all of them. Why is that? Because we're called to not just serve in the area we want to serve, but all the areas where the Lord has called us to serve. Amen? And it's a get to, it's not a have to. Again, I was a youth pastor and an elder then did men's ministry and, 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 and every place I went, God allowed me to grow as he would use me and stretch me. And God wants to use you. And God wants to stretch you. The same reason a lot of people didn't go down the leap of faith is they were afraid more than they, they, they were more fearful of the fear itself than what they were actually being, you know, wanting to do. And God has a calling on your life and God wants to use you and the enemy will try to stop you through fear. Well, I can't do that. I, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. I, I, I don't, I, you want me to do what? No, I can't do that. I, I, I'm not called to do that. Guys, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the word all in original language means all. Can I get an amen to that? I'll pick on John a little bit. I called him for, before he uh, taught a couple Thursdays ago just to pray with him and encourage him. And he's like, I'm scared half to death. I said, great, because that's exactly where you need to be. Can I get an amen to that? Everybody, everybody that I know, the first time they got up and taught in front of a group was scared spitless. But you know why? That's a good thing. Because you know what? We need to recognize that only if God shows up, God needs to show up and this is going to be a waste of time. And I'm going to be accountable for what I say from here. And so it, it puts the fear of God in us. And the fear of God is the beginning, you know, wisdom is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? And so I want to encourage you. There's nothing, to step out and let God catch you is an awesome thing. To get out of your comfort zone. My first time I ever spoke publicly, I was uh, in a speech class in college. And it was one of those classrooms that had like 400 kids in it. It was in a big, in one of those rooms that has the stairs that go up. And our final was, we had to give a speech to convince, to convince people of anything. Anything you want to convince. And you got about eight minutes. And I had written up a speech to convince about something else. And the night before the Lord, I had never, ever, ever taught anybody the Bible anywhere at any time, ever. And the Lord put on my heart, you need to get up there for eight minutes and convince them that I am the savior of the world and they need to get saved. Oh no, that's my dad, that's not me. No, no, no. <laughs> and so I sat down, I wrote this thing out and I literally got both of them in my hand. The other one was so lame. It was to convince people that, that athletic scholarships were a good thing. Because you know, all the athletes, they make fun of you and they say, it's a waste of money, why are we doing that? So I was gonna argue that nonsense. And so I get up there and I'm standing there and I'm looking at a 400 people and I've got two things here and I'm like, okay, Lord, you got to show up. And I just started sharing and the bell rang and nobody left. And then a Q&A period went on and people were asking me questions and then God used that. And you know what it did? It stirred up my heart to do that again. Amen. And if I got up and talked about scholarships, I might not even be talking to you tonight. Amen. The point is that we need to get out of our comfort zone and let God use us. I need to, I need to, this is what happens when your pastor's been gone for four weeks. 
start unloading. Okay. Point number three. Let's take a look at verse 7 to 13. And then we'll look at the point. It says there, of the Gershonites, Laden and Shimei, of the, the sons of Laden, first Jehul, Sethem, and Joel, three in all. The sons of Shimei, Shelemoth, Hazael, Haran, three in all. These are the heads of the fathers of the houses of Ladan. It says the sons of Shimei, Jehad, Zena, Jeish, Beriah. These were the four sons of Shimei. Jehath was the first, and Zizah was the second. But Jeish and Berai did not have many sons. Therefore, they were assigned to one of their father's houses. Then it says, the sons of Kohath, and these are the priests, Amram, Ish, Isar, Hebron, and Uzael, four in all. The sons of Amram, Aaron, and Moses, and Aaron was set apart. He and his sons forever, that he should sanctify the most holy things, to burn incense before the Lord, to minister to him, and to give the blessing in his name forever. Now, on your outline, you'll see four things there that I, I pointed out that we see here, especially in verses 12 and 13. Notice he says what they will do. He says there, he should sanctify the most holy things to burn incense before the Lord, to minister to him, and to give the blessing in his name forever. So four ways to minister to the Lord we see in these few verses. First of all, to sanctify the most holy things. God wants us to be different than the world. And just as the priests in the Old Testament, God has called us to live holy and set apart lives. It says in 1 Peter, but as he hath called you as holy, be holy in all matter of conversation, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. One of the things, and I try not to be too legalistic, because sometimes we don't know where people are coming from, but when you have self-professing Christians, and they're just got filthy mouths. And they'll say, you know, and, and again, if they're new, we had a guy at, at the community center, and he was a brand new Christian, and, and he would come up after the message and say, Pastor Dave, that was a great blanking message. And I would just go, oh, he's new, Lord. Let me just love on him. Amen? He, he, he's a brand new Christian. We'll just love on him. And again, babies do baby stuff. But if you're, still, if you're still sucking a bottle when you're 12, we got a problem, amen? And the exhortation here is that we want to live holy and set up our lives. Again, we want to be different than the world and be sanctified. And then it says to burn incense. What is inc burning incense a picture of in the Bible? What is it? Oh, man. What is burning incense? What is it a picture of? When they burn incense on the altar of incense and it flows over into the Holy of Holies, what is that a picture of? Prayer. Amen? So when he says burning of incense, we need to be people of prayer. We minister to the Lord. How do we do that? By being different than the world, by walking in holiness, and then praying without ceasing. Again, interceding on behalf of others, remaining in intimate contact with the Lord. Then it says, minister unto him. Bring your sacrifices of praise to the Lord. Come humbly before the Lord. Praise and lift up his most holy name. Have an intimate relationship with the King of Kings. And then it says to bless others in his name. It says at the end of verse 13, and give blessings in his name forever. Sometimes we need to be careful when we say God bless you. I don't say God bless you when the Mormons come to my door because I don't want God to bless what they're doing. Amen? 
at the same time, I, I want to encourage them. I want to give them a word from the Lord. You know, the Lord Jesus loves you. The Lord loves you. He suffered and died for you. And we want to encourage people and minister to them and point them to Jesus. Final point. This goes for 18 verses. It says there, be willing to serve wherever you're needed. Now watch what happens. Now the sons of Moses, this man of God, were reckoned to the tribe of Levi. The sons of Moses were Gershon, Eleazar of the sons of Gershon. Shaul was the first of the descendants of Eleazar. Rehabiah the first, Eleazar, and no other sons, but the sons of Rehabiah were many. The sons of Issar, Shalemeth was first of the sons of Hebron. So he goes down and he's giving this list of all the, the different people that are, are of the Levites. He says there in verse 21, the sons of Merari were Mahel and Mushai, and the sons of Mali were Eleazar and Kish. And Eleazar died and had no sons but only daughters, and their brethren, the sons of Kish, took them as wives. And then he continues to go on, and when you get down uh, to verse 25, it says, and David said, the Lord God of Israel has given rest to his people that they may dwell in Jerusalem. So he's saying, look, the temple's been built. You're not traveling anymore. There's no reason to pick up the tabernacle and move it. You've been settled in one place. And then he says this, and also to the Levites, they shall no longer carry the tabernacle or any of the articles for its service. For by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above. Now, it said earlier that from 30 to 50 was the time that the Levites served. And they wanted mature men, and they didn't want them to serve past a certain age because the work that they did was difficult. It was caring. It was heavy. But now, because the ministry has expanded, but it's a different ministry, he's lowered the age to the age 20. And then he says, because their duty was to help the sons of Aaron in the service of the house of the Lord, in the courts and the chambers, in purifying of all things the work of the service of the house of God, both with the showbread and the fine flour for grain offering, with the unleavened cakes, what is blessed in the pan, with what is mixed with all kinds of measures and sizes, and to stand every morning to thank and praise God, and likewise at evening. Here's what he's telling them. No longer are you going to move stuff. Now you're going to serve in the temple. No longer are you going to carry the coverings or carry the Ark of the Covenant, but now the ministry's in a different place, and now you have a different calling. You know, when, when we're planting a church, people do certain things, and some of that is no longer necessary. And now we need to be prepared to move to whatever else God wants us to do now that that ministry that we once did is no longer in need. To change the duty, to change the calling, and to be willing the best ability in ministry is availability. Just being a, a, a available. Lord, use me. Don McClure is my pastor, and he talked about an assistant pastors, and he shared this at the conference. And uh, he just said, you know, an assistant needs to be present. And for us to be used by the Lord, we need to be present. We need to be available to be used for the Lord. Notice it says every morning to thank and praise God, likewise at evening. You know what they did every morning? Once the temple was built, every morning they made a sacrifice, consecrated unto the Lord, started their day worshiping the Lord and making sacrifices to him. You know what they did every night? They came back at the end of the day and they consecrated, made sacrifices to the Lord and worshiped him. They began their day in God's presence and they ended their day in God's presence. And that's an example for all of us to follow. Amen? Amen. 
Begin your day, spend your day, and end your day with him. And it says that every presentation of a burnt offering to the Lord, verse 31, on the Sabbaths, on the new moons, at set feasts by number according to the ordinance of governing them regularly before the Lord, and they should attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting, the needs of the holy place, the needs of the sons of Aaron, their brethren, in the work of the house of the Lord. So what had happened was the ministry they were doing was no longer needed, and now it was time to do something else that was needed. And so he's letting all of these faithful servants know that the way you served before isn't needed anymore, but there's still a calling on your life. And it may be that when you were younger, let's just pick something as an example, maybe you served the kindergartens at a, at a church, kindergartens, and maybe that's just not at your energy level anymore, and maybe God has something completely different for you now, amen? And so sometimes we look and say, well, that was my ministry, and I don't have it anymore, so I guess I'm done. I want you to know as long as you're breathing in and out, you're not done. God's got a calling on your life. God wants to use you for his kingdom and his glory, and he is faithful. The Levites led worship in the morning and in the evening. They now serve faithfully. Uh, some of the things they did, they assisted the priests. They prepared the showbread. That's, and, you know, again, that was in the, in the altar, in the table, in the holy place. They helped with the grain offering. They were praising God. They helped with the burnt offerings. And they helped with the general needs of the people. And that should be, again, that willingness to go out of your comfort zone and say, Lord, here I am, use me. I know you used me in a different way before, but a new day has come. So in closing, leaving behind a lasting legacy, doing all we can to prepare our children to live holy lives, to walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord, raise up a child in the way you should go, make time to disciple them, lead by example, surround them with others who are faithfully walking with the Lord. David called in and brought people around his son to make sure his son would keep his eyes on the Lord, that there would be godly counsel for him. Minister to the Lord. Let me just say this again, I said this often. If we don't minister to the Lord, we will not be equipped to minister for the Lord. Amen? If he doesn't pour into us, we can't pour into others. Right? So if there's not a vertical relationship with God, we won't be ineffective horizontally. When I was a youth pastor, I used to say, if I can just get you guys from doing this and get you guys to do this in the next four years, I've done my job. I want us to wake up looking up. Quit looking at the world. Who cares? Look to the Lord. Amen? He's the one that matters. Be different than the world. Pray without ceasing. Minister unto him. Bless others in his name. And then be willing to serve wherever you are needed. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. I thank you for everyone who's here tonight, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Lord, may we not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. May we not be satisfied living a lukewarm walk. Help us, Lord. Stir us up. Lord, I pray. Begin. Have, we ask for revival and begin in our hearts first. Help us, Lord, to be men and women of God who love you above all else, who are unashamed of the gospel. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for divine appointments tonight, tomorrow. Give us an opportunity to speak into somebody's life. Give us an opportunity, Lord, to, to encourage someone who knows you or share the gospel with someone who doesn't. Lord, if someone needs a hug, use our hands. If someone needs a word of encouragement, use our lips. And Lord, I pray that we would live in such a way that if you should tarry in returning, and we should close our eyes on earth and open them up in glory, I pray, 
that our faithfulness on earth would continue to have an impact on those that are still here, not because, not for our sake, but for your sake, that your name would be glorified. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. All God's people said, Amen.